yeah. All right. Is that not the coolest? Come on. You've got to get pumped up. I got to know how many people are comic book fans. You grew up with comic books growing up. Okay. Oh, these are the only geeks that are willing to admit it. Come on. Are there any females here that liked comic books growing up? Okay, I found one. Okay, good. Is it, hopefully, it's, oh, good. I hope it wasn't just a guy thing. I was, you know, you go on a limb when you pick a series like this. Hey, this is going to be a unique series, obviously, just for some fun stuff uh, and just some theme stuff that we're going to enjoy having fun with Marvel. And by the way, if you're not big into Marvel, then you probably didn't notice at the beginning of the scroll that some of the characters weren't Marvel characters. Okay, someone noticed. Okay, so Brian will fix that next week. Somewhere DC, somewhere Marvel. We'll fix that next week. All right. But we're going to have fun with this. We're actually doing this series with three churches. Can you believe that? It's pretty cool. So let me give you a breakdown of how this is actually going down. So we have a friend in Arkansas, and we're actually partnering with them on this series. So this is a series we're sharing with Brand New Church in Arkansas. We're also doing this series at the exact same time with a church in Federalsburg. That's exciting, First Church of God, which we told Peter he has so got to get a shorter name. His, his, his church sounds like a country song. It's just got this run-on kind of sentence, you know. So we told him, we're going to work with you to get a better name. But it's kind of cool to think about three churches, two different denominations, three different states, partnering together to actually work on a series. And what you're going to love about this series is how it's put together. I'm going to tell you right off the get-go, it's not actually about comic book characters. Okay, that's just how it's themed. Okay, it's actually about some other stuff. And so we're going to have fun with it. Can you have fun in church? I just want to know. Okay, good. So I'm just making sure you guys are tracking with me on that. So let me tell you why this is kind of a, a cool connection. We also want to welcome, we're going to start uh, just doing our Facebook Live here on the front row. So welcome those joining on Facebook Live. But uh, what we're going to do in this series, I just want you to understand why Marvel is such a cool theme to connect to. Do you know they've produced 15 movies of Marvel comic book characters? Did you know that? 15. They've grossed $11 billion. Like, just the films could deal with our national debt in some ways. So this is really popular among our culture. A lot of people know these. Even if they weren't comic book fans, they've probably seen one of the Marvel movies or one of the ones that's about to come out. Now, if you're a geek like me, and I like Marvel, okay, then you probably have noticed that Stan Lee makes a cameo appearance in every one of them. Oh, look, I knew somebody would know. So if you've never watched the Marvel movies, you probably don't know who Stan Lee is. Stan Lee's the guy who actually started Marvel comic books. I think he's in his 90s now. Is that right? And if you want, look for him. He's in every single one. It's just a fun little fact that will help you to go back and watch the movies and have fun with them. But again, this isn't about comic books. This series is really all about the things that we marvel at. I don't know if you ever considered the word marvel or how they got there with the comic book series, but marveling is different than just being amazed. Marvel is like to hold something that's precious. And you understand it's precious from a unique perspective, from a personal perspective. You marvel at it. You don't look at it. You just don't examine it. You just don't think about it. You just are encapsulated by it. Like you just, it, it grabs you and it holds on to you. And that's different for different people. But what's interesting is when you look in the Bible, you're going to find there's different things that different people marveled at. And we want to start the series by looking at one of those. A specific time when Jesus marveled at something. And it's a unique time where he marvels at something that kind of surprises us. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you've got a phone, go ahead and pull up Bible Gateway or buy your Bible app, whatever you got. But open it up to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in the sixth chapter. We're only going to look at two verses to start. And I think it's going to surprise you and me what we find that Jesus marvels at in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 5 and going to 6. So look at this with me. Now, he could do no mighty work there. This is how the New King James. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So this is Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And he marveled at their unbelief. He marveled 
at their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So let me give you some context for this before we jump into Jesus marveling at unbelief. Because honestly, if Jesus is going to marvel at something, the one thing you don't really want him marveling at is our unbelief, right? We really would prefer that he marvels at our belief. So what's unique about this passage? Well, he's in his hometown. Anybody ever gone back for a high school reunion? Okay, yeah. Some of you are like, no, some are like, no, no way I'm going, right? You avoid it. Why do you avoid it? Because you know that some people are still stuck in the same old game. They're still stuck in the same old rut. They're still stuck in the same old mode. You know, some people have never grown up. That's what my wife tells me all the time. Okay, so some people have never grown up. And you go back and it's just they can't get past where they're still stuck in the past, right? Jesus is in his hometown in this passage. So when people see Jesus, all they're seeing in this passage is, oh, that's Joseph's boy. That's Mary's kid. That's the guy that built my house. You know, this is the guy that he was really bright and he was really smart in the synagogue, but somehow the Jewish rabbis never chose him. Somehow he wasn't good enough. There was something wrong with him. This is the guy that the religious world rejected. And now he's here in our hometown, who we know this guy, we grew up with this guy, and Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. So you've got to understand he is in his hometown. So here's the first part. Why is it that, how does this happen? How does unbelief happen? The first thing is, is it's ignorance in you inside and you and I. It's ignorance. Ignorance is not a bad word. It just means you're missing something. There's something you don't understand. There's something you haven't quite connected to the depth of the truth of, of a reality. Here's what's interesting about this. When we say about Jesus and we're saying that people were ignorant in this situation, it's, it, they believed he existed, right? They grew up with him. They can see him. They did life with this guy. So every religion in the world, every person in the world honestly believes in the existence of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Everybody believes in his existence. The uniqueness is, what do they believe about his existence and who do they say he is? That's where the ignorance actually comes in. And in his hometown, this was such a cool place to bring this out. Because it's the only place in all scripture when he's traveling. In fact, you can tell he's so put off by it, that's why he starts to go around to all the surrounding villages. He leaves right there and he starts going around. He's like, there's got to be somebody around here that's not jacked up with unbelief. You know, there's somebody that actually believes that I'm not just the kid that grew up that did this, that, that I'm here for a special work. I'm here for a unique work. Why, why is this so important? Because we do this today. There's a, a form of Bible study um, that's been put out by seminaries and different higher education systems, and it's called textual criticism. Textual criticism isn't a bad thing. It means that you're trying to find what the original text meant to the original people. So you're critiquing it, right? Well, one of the things that some of these critics do is they come to the Bible and they try to pull out all the miraculous. They try to pull out all of the beauty. They say, let's just rationalize this out and really see what's there. And they'll look at the Old Testament, especially is where they'll do a lot of this critiquing. And what they'll say is, did this really happen this way? Or was it really more of a cultural thing about this? Or it's tweaked to look like this? Or really they were just dealing with this problem from their own cultural context. And when we do that, we take the Bible and we take Jesus and we bring him down so many notches to a place where he says, I marvel at your unbelief. I marvel that you don't believe what I did then, I can do now. What I did with that person, I can do with you. 
That's what happens. That's, that's what he's marveling at. And it's because they didn't believe in who he fully was. The second thing is they had incorrect theology. They had incorrect theology. Now, theology might be a goofy word for you, kind of like Marvel comic books, all right? But theology is a really cool word when you break it down. All it actually means is actually you know, two words, right? How many of you guys have studied something that had ology in school, right? Yeah, you studied ology, right? Which just means, oh my goodness, bless, bless you. Oh my goodness, this is going to take four credit hours and waste my life, right? That's what you normally think of when you hear ology, right? And it's got a lab, right? But ology actually just means the study of. That's all it means. Break it down, it's that simple. Theos comes from uh, another word that means God. Theology is just the study of God. It's a fancy word for, I'd like to study about God. But here's the problem. A lot of times when we study about God, we go to the wrong sources for our information. We go to the wrong places for actually understand what God is doing. Some of the places we go, I think, are our friends, right? That's where we normally go when we want to know something, right? We go to some friends. And our, I don't know about your friends, but I've got friends that have an opinion about everything. You got one of those? Yeah, I've got plenty of friends that have opinions about everything. And then you got family, and families usually got an opinion about something. Then you've got different religions that you want to check out. And you want to share what they have to say about theology especially. And then maybe even we've been shaped by movies in this case. You ever think about that movies can literally shape our view of theology, our understanding of who God is? How many of you grew up in the 80s? Anybody remember the 80s? Okay, some of you were born in the 80s. I understand that, okay? But some of you grew up in the 80s. How many of you remember a movie called Cocktail? Oh, gotcha. Okay. So you remember there's a guy named Tom Cruise. And how do you remember a scene where he's actually talking about how he wants to be a millionaire? And he's talking about how it can just be a really simple invention. And he comes in and he says, there's this little simple invention a guy came up with called a flugel binder. Remember that? Which is what he says is the, what holds the tip of your shoestring together. How many of you know that that's a fictitious made-up word that actually never existed? And that's not the real name for the end of a shoelace that gets binded, or however you want to say that, or bound. What's so funny about that is if you survey the culture that came out of the 80s that loved Tom Cruise and loved Cocktail and loved that movie, so many people thought that was a real word and that was a real thing. All because Hollywood said so. They had developed their understanding. We do that with our theology. You know, what's right with our sexuality? What's wrong with our sexuality? What's wrong with the dynamics of marriage or how people interrelate? What's, we start thinking about, and you start pulling it back, and you're like, oh my goodness, my theology sometimes has been shaped literally by the movies around me. Did Hollywood have an agenda? Mm, gee, I wonder. I bet they did. Everybody does. They really do. Figuring out their agenda is the trick. And is it a noble agenda? Or is it an agenda that's just wanting to sway you on to their end of an argument because it makes somebody feel better when people agree with them? And that's what happens a lot of time is our theology, our understanding of who God is, gets shaped by the wrong people. Their theology in this passage had been shaped by the fact that they could not see that Jesus was absolutely unique. That he wasn't just Joseph's boy, but he was literally God in the flesh. That the miracles that he was doing, they actually knew could only be done by someone they'd been waiting on called the Messiah. They'd been waiting on him for thousands of years, and here, here he was, he was right in their midst, doing the miracles that the scripture had foretold that only the Messiah could do, and they couldn't see it because their theology was shaped by their understanding of making him just a man and taking out the miraculous. The third thing you see is immediacy will really mess us up on unbelief. So our ignorance messes up with unbelief, uh, incorrect theology, and then the immediacy. Here's just a reality. Sometimes the pressure of life comes crashing in on us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You know, when you get um, your home and your, your spouse or a loved one or a, a parent comes to you and says, I've just come from the doctor and I just got a diagnosis of cancer. The immediacy of that moment begins to shape 
and possibly really come up against our unbelief. Another thing that can happen is maybe you you're just lost your job. Just heard of a gentleman who just lost his job. And you're wondering, God, what's going on? And the immediacy of this, I just need a job. I just need you to find me a place to work. You know, the immediacy of a certain situation you're just going through that's just painful. A divorce, a separation, a, a child that's just like going crazy right now because they're in their 20s and you know that their brain won't develop till 25. You know that, right? That's called the prefrontal lobe. Okay, that's why they won't rent you a car till you're 25. Interesting fact. Side note, okay? But that's painful, isn't it? That 18 to 25 range sometimes and the parents just praying over a kid saying, God, don't kill them, but help them, you know? And you're wondering in the immediacy of that, where's God? And in that moment, our unbelief can be really triggered by the immediacy of our need. And that's what happens sometimes, even in this passage. And this is what you've got to be careful of. You'll hear people say, you just need to believe. You just need to lay your hands on that person and they'll be healed. If you'll name it and claim it, God will do it. You ever heard that theology? You've been healed already. By the stripes, right? You ever heard this theology? Where did it come from? It comes from an incorrect association of belief. The belief is not in the miracle. The belief is not in the result. Our belief should be in the Savior. He can do it. He might do it. Who gets to decide if he does it? He does. He's the Savior. He's Jesus, right? He's the one that gets to decide. And that's what happened. Their unbelief in this moment, their, their need in the immediacy of the pressure of what was happening in Palestine... They just wanted Jesus to kick the Rome out, kick Rome out and make everything good again. And their understanding of what they immediately needed was the unbelief. Belief has to do with a person, not a result. Isn't that good? Because that means no matter what happens, you know he's going to show up. You know Christ is going to do what he needs to do in that situation. And to me, that's what belief is. So let's, let's look at that unbelief and how actually, let me just get, pull a piece of that out for you in a, a painful part of my own life. So when my mom was dying of cancer, the immediacy for me was, God, I just need a healing. I just need a healing. You better believe I asked for it. So should you. And I prayed for it. Knowing Christ capable actually has seen him heal people in my lifetime of cancer. Seen it. I'm like, if he did it for them, he can do it for me. Absolutely. Believed wholeheartedly and fully with all of my heart. But what you got to be careful of is am I believing him only for the miracle Or am I believing him for who he is? Now, mom went through cancer and she graduated, okay? She was a born-again believer, giving all of her life to Jesus. She got to meet him face-to-face at the end of that season. But let me tell you about some of the miracles that happened during that season. That if I'd have only had my eyes on what I wanted, I would have never seen what God did. When we brought mom home, they actually flushed her system. I don't know if you know anything about cancer, but they kind of got her all cleaned up to come home and help her to have a really good transition to home and I went to hospice care. So she was very lucid at that point. She was really clean, you know, and just, it was a really good season. I'll never forget my um, niece, who wasn't quite a firm believer in God, was with her. She was the only one in the room with her. Think about the fact that God would do this. Only one in the room with her. And my mom looked at my niece and said, do you see the angels at the foot of the bed? And of course, my niece was like, no way. You're just like whacked out of your brain. Must be the morphine. She wasn't on morphine. Must be the medication. She wasn't on medication. They just flushed her out before she came home. She was as lucid as she'd ever been. And she goes, what are they saying? She says, they're here to minister and take care of me, but they've told me it's not time yet. You know, she lived past what the doctor said she would live by three months. 
And the whole time she was there, I saw miracle after miracle after miracle of God's hand. And now he ministered to my mom, and he developed my faith and my family's faith. If I would have only been focused on what I wanted, which I still wanted that, and I believe God fully capable, I would have missed the miracle after miracle that God did do. Your belief is not in the result. Your belief is in the Savior, and that will make your faith solid. Let's look at belief for a second. And we're going to go from now from the New Testament to the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a guy called Shamgar. Thanks, Paul. This is so cool. A friend of ours down at Snow Hill made this. Shamgar. Give me that graphic now. He's got to have that graphic. Look at this. Shamgar. Does this not sound like a Marvel comic book? You can't put this guy in D.C., right? Shamgar. Okay. Shamgar was this Old Testament guy. If you ever read the Old Testament, he's out of Judges. There's just like this one line of Shamgar. And you're going to hear about it. He's going to talk about this thing in a second called an ox goad. We're going to talk about this. This is what Shamgar used. And this is what he's known and famous for in the Old Testament. So if you've got a Bible, again, turn to Judges, or you can watch this passage behind me. But look at this little teeny two-liner right after a big hero that's actually inside of um, the Old Testament. It says, after Ehud um, came... Shamgar, son of Anath, isn't that cool? I dare you to name your kids that, who struck down 600 Philistines. Now, Philistines were assassins. These are people that were, they, were just, they knew war, okay? And they had the combat with, you know, Israel all throughout their history. This guy struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. This is an ox goad. He struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And he too saved Israel. Now, if you know anything about the book of Judges, the book of Judges is all about Israel gets all messed up doing what they're not supposed to do. And God says, okay, I'll give you over to your own wants and desires. And, and their life gets all messy. And then one of the judges comes along and says, we're going to save Israel again. Y'all are messed up again. We're going to make you good again. And then, and then they get messed up again. It's like a cycle, okay? They're like bipolar in the Old Testament. That's what Israel's like, okay? And so then there's this guy who's one of the judges, okay? Shamgar. What do we know about Shamgar? He was a farmer. Shamgar was a farmer. How do we know he was a farmer? Because he used an ox goad. An ox goad was a utensil that they would make, usually twisted out of vines, and there was a little pull collar on it with a point. What they would do is, you don't want to get too close to the back end of a mule, and not that case, theirs would have been oxen, right? What they would do is they would reach out, and they would tap along to keep the thing on. They would goad the animal on as they were going through the fields, right? And sometimes they could use it to dig and do different things with a tool. So this was a modern or an ancient version of a hoe. So if you want to understand what this miracle is like, let's put it in a modern vernacular. Okay. So Bud Rager of Greenwood, Bud Rager of Greenwood, right, has 600 assassins descend on his farm, right? And he takes a hoe. And kills 600 of them. Okay? <laughs> Mary Ann's like, that's my man! That's my man! She is excited. That was for you, bud. You're getting lucky tonight. Okay, so <laughs> here's the reality. This guy killed 600 Philistines with this. Now, here's what we can do. You're right. You're right. He didn't do that. That's just one of those Bible stories. Or you're right. He believed God, and God showed up in a miraculous way. Now, what we don't know is if he killed him over his lifetime or we killed him at one moment. Either way, it's pretty amazing to me. Let me just give you a couple reasons why. If he did this over his lifetime, don't you think he would have, like, gotten a better weapon? I mean, if you got people coming over to your house trying to kill you all the time, you think, okay, the ox would work the first time, but maybe I need an AR. You know, I mean, you think something, <laughs> like I need something better. He didn't. He held on to it. 
If he kills 600 at one time, it's like, holy cow. I mean, how do you, how do you swing this at 600 people and take them out? <laughs> it's just crazy. But let me give you, I think, transferable principles for you and I today. So let me give you the transferable principles. Shamgar started where he was. He started where he was. So many times you and I say, you know, I'll get the miracle or I'll get to the place that God wants me when and if this, and you fill in the blank. You know, I had a guy one day say, I'll believe in God when he shows up in a burning bush. I'm like, if you really want the life that Moses had before you get the burning bush, I think God would give it to you. And I think you'd change your mind. God showed up for Moses in a burning bush. He's going to show up for you in a different way. God always starts with where you are. It's so cool. This guy was a farmer. And we think of that, sometimes we downplay that, but I've got a farmer down the street from me. Gino, I love this guy. If you've never met Gino, all this guy does is farm, throw bales of hay. Think about that, okay, and straw. He has no neck. The guy's shoulders go to his head, okay? This is a guy that probably could take a hoe and kill 600 people in the town of Hebron. I mean, I could see it happening. Shamgar was like that. He knew his strength. He knew his utensils and his tool. He started where he was, and he loved the people of Israel. He loved the people of Israel. He knew that this call was going to come in some way or form. He didn't know when or how. And he knew that God would be faithful. He knew that God would show up. One of the things I get asked a lot when you're a pastor is uh, people that sometimes are searching in their life if God's calling them to be a pastor will say, what's the difference in an ordination and a call? Let me tell you the difference because I think it has to do with this situation right here. God calls every single person. Did you know that? He calls every one of you. He's uniquely made you. He's uniquely equipped you. He's given you certain gifts that are so unique to you. Like a farmer who knows exactly who they are. And you have to be comfortable with who you are. Knowing that God will use what he's given you to do miraculous and wonderful things in your life. And not try to be someone you're not. Ordination is just man's recognition of God's call. That's all it is. It's just mankind coming together in a group of people going, we see in this case this guy's called to preach the gospel. So we'll lay hands on him and turn him loose. Same thing happens with people. Every one of you are called. You've already been ordained, foreordained to do a miraculous and wonderful thing for God that only you can do based on your gifts and your skill set and all those pieces. The second thing is Shamgar used what he had. He knew where he was. He started with where he was. God met him where he was. And he used what he had. It's so cool when you think about the simplicity of this tool. And when we think of this, a lot of times we think of, you know, what's that for me? You know, because this, this can get very allegorical. But what does that mean for me? What is it that God's given you? I want to give you something that's so common to every single person that I know that God will use, that is so powerful, that will equip you before you leave here. And in Christian circles, they call this your testimony. In, in other circles, they would just call it my story. That is the most powerful thing that God has given you and placed in you. That he is at work in your life and doing something. And he's not only doing it in you, he's done it throughout all history. David, of course, slew a giant. I was, I was on uh, LinkedIn recently, and I, um, Heather Wilson has got the coolest LinkedIn. That gal's posting cool stuff all the time. And so this quote came up. I want to show it to you. It's from Rich Mullins. Check this quote out. This is a cool quote. And she had this on her LinkedIn. I thought, this is so good. David didn't kill Goliath because he set out to slay giants. He set out to give some sandwiches to his brothers, and Goliath got in the way. I don't know if you know that's the story of David and Goliath. 
He didn't go to the camp going, I'm going to go kill Goliath. He showed up to actually take some stuff to feed his brothers. And he said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine who thinks he can stand before the living God? What are y'all cowering for? And he, same story. He took what he had. He took a sling and some stones. And he popped that guy between, and that was it. And that's what God wants to do in your life. And I'll tell you what it is. It's your story. You have a unique story. You have unique pain. You have a unique background. You have a unique education. You have a unique family. You have unique friends. All those things are unique and they make, they're part of your story. And all, and all the stories that I understand have this idea of there's this moment before I really knew Jesus fully, okay, and I was trying to wrestle with life and do it on my own. That's like the precursor, like that's the prelude, you know, right? And then there's this moment where they say, now I really met the living God. I met the living Jesus. He was no longer a Bible story to me. He was no longer a church story to me. He was no longer something I colored when I went to Sunday school. I met him personally, and spiritually he came and he indwelt me, and he now lives inside of me. And now he is equipping me to do things that I never fathomed and thought possible. Every Christian story has those three elements. And they continue on and on and on. And that's your ox code. Let me tell you why it's an ox code. Because when you tell your testimony, when you tell your story, one of two things will happen. People will go, ooh, and they'll be attracted because they're going through whatever you're going through. And they'll go, I I know that. I relate to that. Or they'll be repelled. Because they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That, that, That's so in my face. I just can't deal with it. It's an ox code. It's hard to deal with. You can't compromise on it. By the way, you can't argue with someone's story. I can't look at you and you give me a story and go, it didn't happen. You're the one that knows the story. You have authority over your own story. That's what I love. This is your ox code. Did you know that the word enthusiasm... And again, just broken down from different words, is a pretty cool word. Remember we talked about at the beginning, theology? It's got the same word in it, theos. The word in it means God in you. Enthusiasm comes from the word that means God is in you. And then when people see you, they see the illumination, the excitement, the enthusiasm of a living God. That's where that word comes from. That's the root of the word enthusiasm. And when you know your story and you're excited about your story and you see how God has taken your story and he's made it something for himself, it's powerful. There is no unpowerful story. I've heard people come to me and say, I don't have a testimony. I don't have a story. I'm like, yes, you do. You've got one. I've heard one guy came to me one time. He says, I grew up in the church. I'm like, that's awesome. How many of us even get that privilege anymore, right? I grew up in the church. I had great parents. I was like, that's awesome. We think testimonies have to be somebody's walking through the door with an IV hanging out of their arm. Okay, and then somebody's got to pop the out, then they run to the altar and they get saved, and, that, and that's no, no, no. Every story where God's power is infusing the story is an amazing, powerful story. The third thing is that Shamgar did what he could. He did what he could, and what could he do? He could believe. That's all he could do. He had a hoe, you know. He had six hundred Philistines descending on him, and all he did was believe in God. In your case. In Christ, I don't know what will happen in your situation. I cannot guarantee you what God will do. But what I can guarantee is he'll show up. And if you got eyes to see and you're looking for God to intersect your story, your testimony, he'll do it. Um, uh, one of the guys in my life that really had a big impact on me used to quote a verse all the time 
whenever he saw, when he saw people struggling with a certain life situation. He'd quote Revelation 12, 11. And it's a great passage if you've never memorized it. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I don't know what's going on in your life, but here's what I can tell you. If you'll marvel at Jesus, if you'll put all of your belief and all of your hope, and you'll bank on nothing else except for him, God will show up and do a supernatural work in your journey. That's the gospel. That's the good news, and he lives inside of you, and he wants you to share it. He wants you to share your story. He wants you to share it with people around you. He wants you to share it with people when you go to the restaurant. He wants you to share it with your family. He wants you to share your story with your friends. But what if you've never gone there? So let me just give you a simple way to come to faith, whether you come to faith right now or you come to faith when you leave this place. So a friend of mine that I was building a relationship with, God really convicted me about this guy. I came back from a big men's retreat, and uh, God said, you know, you share your faith with a lot of people. And then he, I don't know if God's ever done this to you, but he can slap you in the face at times. And this was a, like a two-by-four moment he gave me. He said, do you realize you've never genuinely shared your faith with your boyhood friend? That's like a two-by-four in my face. Bam. I'm like, yeah. And we've kind of grown apart over the last 15 years. And God's like, yep. And the first thing you need to do is love him and start a relationship with him again. So I started inviting the guy to go to baseball games with me. We started hanging out baseball. And I'm just trying to build a relationship and genuinely love my friend again. Learn about his story, things that have changed, what's going on in his life, what his likes are, what his dislikes are. Just genuinely loving my friend. Part of his, to be part of his story. He got in the car one night, and he looks at me, and he says, I've been reading the Bible. My mouth hit the floor. I'm like, this dude's reading the Bible? Holy cow. Which my mouth shouldn't hit the floor. I should have expected it, because God still does what God does. And he looks at me, and he says, I'm in the book of Romans. And then my next thought was, why would you start with the book of Romans? You know, start with something a little easier, man. I didn't say it. I thought it. Yeah. <laughs> Filter kicked in. I was past 25 at that point. And uh, he says, this verse keeps plaguing me, Romans 5.8. And it's such a cool verse. And I'll let you look it up later, but the verse is like an opening to essentially share who Jesus is. It's a perfect opening. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to give the gospel to my friend. And then the Holy Spirit said, shut up. That's how I heard it. That's not what he said, okay? But he said, be quiet. And I'm like, there's no way. This guy is like ready. He's reading Romans, and he's reading Romans 5.8. He says, don't. And he says, just keep loving him. I'm like, Okay. And so I just said, hey, man, if, if there's any questions you have about the Bible, just let me know. The guy went to a bookstore the next day. This is how God works. This is the miraculous testimony this guy has now. He walked in, and there's a lady at the counter. He says, I got this King James Bible, and I can't read it. I don't, it's nice, and it's poetic, but I can't read it. She's like, I need, he's, I need a new Bible. And he goes, you're in luck. My son from Duke is home this weekend. He's a seminary student. He's back there stocking shelves. He goes to the back. The guy gets him a new living translation, which is a little easier to read. He comes back to the front to pay for it, and the woman at the counter, who doesn't know him from Adam, looks him in the eyeballs and says, don't wait. That's all she said. Don't wait. He went home, he opened that Bible, he looked at the first page, and on the first page was something called the sinner's prayer, which essentially says, admit you're a sinner and you need a savior. Believe fully on what Jesus has done for you when he died for you and he paid for your, for your sin on the cross. He paid for your sin and my sin personally when he went to the cross. And commit all of your life to him based on what he's done. He hit his knees and he prayed in his own living room. That's his story. 
And it's infused with God's power. And it's beautiful. He went to his, his dad's grave later that day, wanting to know, is this real, God? Are you really showing up in my life? He said, a ray of sun that never shows up on his dad's grave just shined right through the trees, right onto his stone. He said, I knew as sure as I'm standing here, God had saved me. And the guy was alive and well. And then my life was going to be radically different. That's his story. And it overcomes every situation now in that guy's life. I've got a story. You've got a story. If you've never told your story or you've never done all three pieces where you've admitted before God that you're a sinner, that you've believed fully on what Christ has done and you've committed your life, you need to do that. You might need to do that this morning. Maybe you need to do it when you get home. Don't wait, though. Just like that woman said, don't wait, because you never know when the opportunity is going to come again. Don't wait. So we're going to ask the band to come back up. I'm going to play a song for you that I'm hoping will stir you to understand how much God has truly overcome in your life. And the best you know how, I'm going to ask you to respond by faith with all the belief that you have. And then when you leave this place, I'm going to ask you to write down your story. And it might be a piece of your story. It might be one piece. Realize that you, you are a superhero. You have a super story. Write it down and share it. Because here's the reality. I guarantee there's someone in this world that needs to hear your story. They're waiting to believe because of your story. Because of what God's doing in your life. And I want you to share it on Facebook. I want you to share it by letters. I want you to share it in person. I want you to share it with the most important people in your life. Let God lead you, though. Don't just jump out and do it. Let him lead you to do it when he wants you to do it. And you will see a marvelous thing. People will marvel at the change that's happened in you. And Jesus, instead of marveling at your unbelief, will marvel at your belief that you can overcome anything by his power. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for every single person here. I thank you that each person that's here is not here by accident, but they're here by design. God, they have a story. And when our story intersects your story, marvelous things happen. People's lives are forever changed. Our lives are forever changed. And our stories never go old. God, they never grow tired because there's different people that need to hear different parts of our stories. In every way possible, God, stir us to overcome every situation in our life because of your story and your testimony, which now lives in us. We thank you how you're going to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.